I'm Reverend Harry Bridge. And I'm Dr. Scott Mitchell, and this is the Dharma Realm Podcast. We're coming to you from the Jodo Shinju Center in Berkeley, California. This is the Dharma Realm Podcast for July 8th, 2016, and today we're continuing our discussion on generations. Uh, so, some house cleaning before I get back into making fun of Harry and uh, MacGyver, um, and other intergenerational conflicts, of which there are many. Um, it's July now. Um, happy Independence Day, maybe. <laughs> um, and I want to let everybody know that we have been invited to do a live recording of our um, little show at the upcoming Pacific Seminar, um, which is gonna be held here at the Jodo Shinshu Center in Berkeley on um, August 20th. It's a Saturday. I don't, right now, I don't know the time, but um, if you go to the Center for Buddhist Education website or the Institute of Buddhist Studies website, there should be information um, and you can find out uh, how to register, what the details are. We'll be doing a live show there. We'll be... Um, and it's not only us. Like, we're part of a larger program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all kinds of really cool, important stuff that is is important and cool. And cool. <laughs> <laughs> and you should totally come and support the cool, important stuff. Um, and it's actually a great opportunity yeah. because it's not only us. Like, if you yeah. you feel like, I always wanted to see those guys right. talking in person. Yeah. <laughs> which, 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 which would like, be awesome. Three or four people have seen... <laughs> We've done we've done a couple live yeah, yeah. episodes before. Yeah, the first live episode was awesome. Awesome. The a lot of people one, there was people. like it was like my wife yeah. and um, your wife and I was pretty much it. <laughs> no, we had one other person. Right from and, Fresno. And, she came all the way up from. That's Fresno. true. All the way from Fresno, and yeah. and you know the Gail from the bookstore was here. Right. Know, so, um, <laughs> but Pacific Seminar uh, August. Check it out on the web. We'll put some links in this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, famous important scholars will be here, also. Not part of the show, but they'll be here giving talks. So, come. That was the worst promo ever. Are you kidding? That was the best promo ever. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. I'm going to work on that. Um, Anyway, back to how you're wrong. No, we've been talking about generations. <laughs> generations, this is right. the, the, the Star Trek um, generation, Dharma Realm generations. Star Trek generation? No, yeah. not a Star Trek generation. Um, <laughs> it's related. I've been watching a lot of. Um, it's not related. Star Other Trek than you've been TOS, watching it a lot. Yeah, yeah. The original series, <laughs> yeah. much better than I expected. I mean, I've seen old ones before, but like watching consistent episodes from like end of first series, beginning. I totally of second shouldn't series. have mentioned this. You've gone off the rails. You're just gonna. Spend the next 20 minutes talking about Star Trek. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> um, we were talking, though, about our own generational identities and then talking about um, the importance of generation in BCA historically, mm-hmm. but then how that is kind of breaking down in the a lot of ways. Of it. And actually, yeah. Star Trek is relevant. Oh, yes. <laughs> because Dr. McCoy appears in the first Next Generation episode. No, but he does, which is kind of weird, right? And they don't call him McCoy. He just walks down a hallway with data or something. Right, right, right. right. And complains. And complains. Oh, there we got the cranky. We got the cranky and awesome. (laughs) We got some cranky. No, I just mean, uh, you know, we were talking in the last episode about things we sort of grew up with and Mm -hmm. um, Saturday television and whatnot because our parents had jobs and TV raised us. (laughs) Well, no. 
I'm different. My mom didn't have a job. My mom was a housewife. So I was. That's another aspect where I felt like a previous generation. I wasn't. So why did she just let you watch television all the time? Yeah. Hmm. That was the babysitter. Yeah, yeah. What was she doing? I don't know. <laughs> she was probably out in the garden. She liked flowers. Oh, okay, that's that's fine. That's fine. A- anyway. Um, <laughs> Because one of the things I remember very clearly growing up with was the original series of Star Trek, Mm -hmm. which is not our generation, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Like, Mm -hmm. that show was on the air in the late 1960s, before we were born. Right. And so our experience of it was completely through syndicated television after the fact. And then also The Next Generation, which was a pretty big deal when I was, Mm -hmm. um, for me, as a... Geek. As a geek, yes. (laughs) An unpopular (laughs) nerd who had no friends. (laughs) But I was, you know, I was a teenager when that show came out, right? So it was more of my generation, right? So there's a sort of intro, like that's the ambiguity of generations. There mm-hmm. is that the mm-hmm. cultural reference might not actually be from the time in which you lived, right? Or they might be, but in a different way, right? Different medium, yeah, yeah, yeah. Different technology. I don't, I don't know where. But I'm But that's going also with this. no, no, no. <laughs> but that's I think. Oh, uh huh, uh huh. <laughs> That's a big difference between traditional BCAA up through the 70s and 80s and people from then now, I think, because now even more so, we're just immersed in technology in a way different than people who were adults, late adults in the 70s, hmm. right? And so um, we interact with technology, in a, and I, I think I interact in a way technology different than young people do for me. I mean, I'm, I'm not identifying with millennials or anything, but, um, but even someone like me who I think in a way, I'm, I feel like 1970 was almost a cutoff or like people born 60s through 70s. If you had a family that had video games because you had a computer that was your friend, the computer <laughs> was like the best thing around that's, you know and i think so, maybe if you were so sad harry you had no other friends yes, besides your atari really <laughs> but i mean you know what i mean and like, i say that it's sincerely because i also had, atari. I had no yeah no, like zero friends until i was like 13 and then right prior to that i was you know a lot of time playing video games and uh and and you know writing little programs on like on my atari computer mm-hmm. yeah. see i didn't go that far I well, stopped with so my nerd car just trumped whatever print nerd car. Hello, twenty. Go to ten. Like that was an extent of my programming at basic. Yeah, but but you know what I mean. It's like yeah. um, BCA. I think has changed a lot. Like actually, we have a lot more participation from younger people because of the internet, mm-hmm. right? Because of technological communication now and the way we connect with people in a radically different way. I mean, I remember one of my members who's now in her 70s, she, or no, not 70s, she's almost 70. And um, there's actually videotape has recently surfaced on the internet <laughs> of her as like a 20 year old in 1971 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, she had pen pals. She actually wrote letters to people. I like, had a pen pal. Really? Yeah. See, I well, I maybe going to Japan. I kind of missed out on it, but yeah, you they know. made us. I mean, you know. Okay, so yeah, no one made me, <laughs> but but right, even then, right? Like yeah, you had to write yeah, yeah. like a letter. You could have a pen pal, but you had to write to them with your yeah. hand on a pen and on a piece like of two paper. Letters and that was it. Okay, right. <laughs> so that's a big change, right? Now we can just. Yeah. 
zap off an email and it's like in a way it's become that much less significant like I think like our a lot of times our interpersonal relationships are much more shallow now um, where it's just like so easy to just see and now, even texting I, someone I, I gotta hand it to you man you brought the cranky in I brought in the cranky, yeah, and it's written on a notepad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're all <laughs> an kids today. Pen. Don't yep. understand how important yep. it is to write. I brought letters. out my inner cranky, my inner. There's no. Grandpa. They don't have these important relationships because they're too busy with their texting, right? And their Facebooks yep. and their tweets, their Twitters. Yeah, yeah. way to go, man. Way <laughs> to be you. cranky, old man. Thank you. High five. I thought we were going to get to that in the first episode. <laughs> we took this. <laughs> Um, Which, you know, I, I don't want to, I, I hear that, I hear what you're saying, and I hear like that sense of like, technology has changed the way that we communicate, we don't have as deep personal relationships with people. And I didn't actually but, mean to go in that No, direction. I know you didn't mean that, but like that's sort of the rhetoric, right, between intergenerational things, right, mm -hmm. where it's like the new, mm -hmm. the new technology makes us feel as though something has been lost. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to sort of be dismissive of that. And, you know, I bring up the fact that I had a pen pal because I remember very clearly having, like, being forced by some, you know, eighth grade English teacher to write a letter to some person in, you know, Croatia or something. Mm -hmm. And writing a letter and feeling awkward about it and never following up on that. Yeah. And, you know, just because it was the old media of writing things down. That doesn't seem that like it's particularly yeah, yeah. <laughs> deep or meaningful, right? That wasn't like uh, any uh, any right. more deep or meaningful than um, a connection somebody might make um, via Facebook with a stranger online somewhere, right? Like that mm -hmm. actually might be much more significantly deep mm -hmm. and profound than the old medium. So I think we just need to like be attentive to the way in which technology changes things, but not necessarily mm -hmm. good or bad. It just changes right. things, right? And that's right. that's kind of a tricky thing with the generations. And I think getting back to some of the structural changes in the VCA, mm -hmm. when you look at uh, 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 an organizational structure that's tied to a particular generation, if that structure is so bound up in the old way of doing things and then has that attachment or has that inability to appreciate a new way of doing things, then that might be an impediment to responding to changing needs mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or times. Mm -hmm. Which is a danger, I think, that we often see, you know, the sort of joke of the cranky old man who's like, ah, kids today, I got off my lawn. You know, I think that, uh, maybe I'm speaking for myself, but I always, in my mind, see a cranky old man being like Grandpa Simpson, right? Like being somebody who's very, very old mm -hmm. <laughs> and talking about somebody who's very, very young. But I, at the same time, I think that can happen between generations that are much closer in age, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm in my in my 40s and I might be like you know being dismissive towards somebody in their 30s which is not that huge of a difference right and I should check in with that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. even though I'm probably right because with age comes wisdom and <laughs> these damn kids <laughs> I just can't I just can't do it I can't be sincere that long <laughs> that brings up a good point because I moved to Japan in 82 and so I had finished sixth grade and was going into seventh grade. And I remember um, this person who I was friends with in fifth, sixth grade, kind of, friends. Mm -hmm. um, he also bullied me a, a fair amount. So that's where the... the um, I know that guy. <laughs> I had the same friend. Right? <laughs> um, he wrote me this long letter. I can almost see it. Like, like this handwritten, handwritten letter? letter. And he had gone and seen Kit. 
<laughs> like he went to a car show and saw Kit, the car from Knight Rider, right? I didn't watch Knight Rider, so I kind of didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> you were like, dude, a talking car? <laughs> <laughs> Right? But he was all excited about it, and I never wrote back. It was Who's like, the bully now, Harry? <laughs> <laughs> that was my way you, of you getting ruined my that guy's power life. back. <laughs> no. um, but kind of interesting, right? It has nothing to do with media, yeah, yeah. right? It's, it's, we, you know, maybe writing had deeper meaning, but only if you engaged in it. Right. You didn't have to write someone back, right? So, or you could write someone back and not mean it. So, yeah, the medium doesn't necessarily um, determine the the depth of engagement or anything like that. Yeah, this is therapy session part two. <laughs> I've been doing a lot of that lately. Um, Harry's taking notes now. Call so and so. Yeah. Apologize for kit car. <laughs> <laughs> or don't. Um, so you, the, the thing about structures and maybe I think that Techno Buddha is really interesting. Um, so that's another BCA thing that's been around for, oh, I think, almost 10 years. Is it a BCA thing, though? Um, it's really interesting in the sense that part of the one of the characteristics of it is it is actually not a BCA thing. Yeah, I was going to say. And it was all, it, at the beginning, it always, it, it, not always, why am I saying always? It, it set it up, self up originally, trying not to be part of that generational BCA structural thing. Right. But also it's like, it's not, it wasn't, my understanding, I could be wrong, was that it wasn't institu- it inst- instituted. It wasn't um, initiated as a BCA program. Right. It wasn't and like ministers got together no. or lay leaders got together and were like, hey, let's do a conference. It right. was the actual people who were sort of right. not necessarily outside the systems of power. Well, some of them were inside, I think, and yeah, some were on the fringe. Right. right. And they wanted to do something, and they right. did it. And they did it, and it was great. Yeah. And which, I think, I, which I think is, and I, and I want to celebrate that because I think it's really important, mm-hmm. and, and I think it's really valuable that people are able to do that, and I mm-hmm. think it's also really um, awesome on the part of the BCA and the Jodo Shinshu Center to support that. Yeah. And, and to give them a space to do that rather than being the way that they could have been, which was, you know, to sort of force them to sort of conform to mm-hmm. a structure mm-hmm. or to force them to go through some sort of bureaucratic process or to be right. like, you know, old man, these damn kids. Right. You know, and sort of stop it from happening. But right. instead, that sort of organic process was allowed to grow, which I think is really valuable. And I think. <laughs> Since I've been around anyway, I think BCA has been open to that yeah. and re- recognized that the old structures are kind of moribund and um, not working, right? And so this seemed like a great opportunity to try and let something grow, mm-hmm. right? And that it was a, an age group that's missing from BCA, which was like 25 to 36 or 21 to 36 or something like that. Oh, and all we know is that we aged out almost immediately. Yeah. So I think I was right on the edge, <laughs> if not already a year or two out when I was a speaker at the first one. Yeah, yeah. I remember feeling the same way. I was like, ah, I right? just turned too old. So, you know, it was like 21 to 36 maybe. So I'm not sure how much... Um, a 21-year-old necessarily identified with a 36-year-old, but it was really neat, and it seemed to be reaching out to of the Japanese-American demographic, um, ethnicity, um, 
an opening, like more open, it seemed like, to um, non-JA, and that that seemed to be really a part of it. And I'm really not sure where it is now. I'm not sure if they're still doing that. Um, I don't. You're here more than me when that's happening, maybe. No, it happens on a weekend. You're yeah, not even here either. And I can't so, go. I'm too old. Right. Old so I'm not man. really sure. Where's my arthritis um, medicine? <laughs> <laughs> um, but... Which is interesting. I mean, it's interesting you say that that it seemed more diverse from the beginning. Um, I I was always under the impression that it was the opposite, but mm. um, but I think but in reflecting on, it, I think you're absolutely right that it was um, intentionally meant to be just open to a particular generation, regardless of other demographic markers, which is right. fantastic. Right. Um, whether or not it's remained intentionally that way, or if it, if it was intentional that way, is another right. question. I don't know. Right. Um, what is it with the ethnicity thing with us, BCA? Well, it's not just us. Right. You know, hey, welcome to America. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but we have a race problem. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really. I try not to see race. <laughs> You're part of the problem. Man. <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, I mean, this is this is something that comes up not infrequently in my teaching and scholarship. People are like, you know, <clears throat> why, why can't we move past this? And it's like, well why would it be any differently? We're talking about American culture, which is so divided along racial and ethnic lines that to, to work against that is really hard, is really challenging. Mm-hmm. And it makes total sense that even today in you know, post-racial America, which it doesn't really exist, right. um, that there would still be this, um, this feeling that people would have of wanting to create safe ethnic spaces. Like, why would that be surprising? That doesn't mm-hmm. surprise me at all. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I don't fault an organization for wanting to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have a group of people who are like, oh, our ordinary everyday experience is both overt and implicit racist um, comments all the time, gosh, it would be nice to spend a weekend with the in-group and not have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And like, you're right. <laughs> like, like, more power to you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm sorry. <laughs> that this is the world that we live in and and I would love to change that but I think it's it's sort of backwards to think that we should um, like fault the BCA or fault other religious organizations for or groups for wanting to do that um, without paying attention to the larger cultural currents and con- and contexts that mm-hmm. that reinforce that difference that reinforce those structures mm-hmm. you know that seems in response to larger issues that are beyond our community and maybe, actually, we're recording this in May. Um, I'll let the cat out of the bag. These aren't live. They don't happen right when they get released. But um, this is the time when... Dude, um, I said it was July. <laughs> <laughs> we're pretending. Oh, right. um, pretending. <laughs> but I'm letting the curtain down for a minute. <laughs> opening the curtain. Um, that Scarlett Johansson <clears throat> has been cast in the um, Ghost in the... Or what is it? Um, Ghost in the Shell. Ghost yeah. in the Shell um, anime. And so white people are still being cast as Asians. Right. It's 2016. Yeah. And it's getting worse, actually, I yeah. think. That um, you know all of a sudden... These several movies where Asians, Asian roles, people who are Asian are being cast as to white right. um, actresses um, in this case. Uh, and so you're right. It's like maybe even more so BCA is going to stay ethnic in a way um, because it hasn't, yeah, you know, no, as much as it's, right? <laughs> well, as much as it's gotten better for Asians in America, yeah, quote yeah. unquote, but at the same time in the pop culture, it hasn't, right? That Asians are still underrepresented. We still um, don't 
I was going to say see ourselves. I don't see myself as Asian, really. Um, I actually, actually, as a biracial person, I feel more represented. Mm -hmm. I see more half Asian people than you can see a full Asian person in the media, right? Um, And so I think Asian Americans are just totally underrepresented in Hollywood, for certainly, and... um, so maybe even more so that, that um, our, so the group I was thinking of when I brought it up is YBA, your junior YBA, mm-hmm. the high school group. Um, I've been a minister almost 10 years this year, and I've seen personally, I think I've seen three um, white kids in YBA. Mm-hmm. How many dozens of YBA kids have I seen? How many hundreds of YBA kids have I been around? Mm-hmm. Not just Bay District, but um, um, throughout the BCA, you know, when I go to like the Southern um, District or whatever, and seeing when you see a white kid in B, in junior Y, it's like, whoa, what's going on? Wow, what, what temple are they from? They totally <laughs> stand out um, because it is absolutely not the norm. Right. And this um, is where I think some comparative work will be interesting mm-hmm. with multi-generational historically ethnic religious organizations mm. in both Buddhist contexts but in non-Buddhist contexts in the United States to see how these things play out. I mean, it's an interesting question because, you know, you said maybe BCA will become more ethnically um, homogenous. I think that would be a, um, that would be a challenge mm-hmm. for the longevity of the organization mm-hmm. um, given larger demographic shifts in the Japanese-American population more generally. Yeah. That, would yeah. be, that would be a pretty big challenge. Um, just from a, a sort of strategic numbers point of view, that would be. Um, but if we, if it's a challenge, a multi-ethnic, <laughs> a multi-ethnicity becomes the ethnicity, then we'd be booming. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, because yeah. Japanese Americans are and, marrying and, out. Yeah, and this so. is this is the issue, right? Like we're sort of talking about the sort of raw numbers of ethnicity, but there's also the other question of actually what the the you know, the mission, so to speak, of the BCA is, which is spreading the Buddha Dharma, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if we're serious about that, then that should be, um, that shouldn't be blind to ethnicity or racism, but it shouldn't be limited by that, mm-hmm. right? Um, in other words, we shouldn't just, you know, do the thing of, like, I don't see race. Right, 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 right. That's not going to work. Right. But you can't just say, oh, we're just going to, you know, spread the Dharma among one particular ethnic oh, group, because yeah, yeah. that's not yeah. going to work either. Yeah. Right, so you need to be attentive to these dynamics, and so this is where I think comparative work would be interesting mm-hmm. to see what other communities have done and 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 on these on these on these issues. Um, and again, I you know, yeah, it's a it's a on the one hand, it's a bummer if there's a, a group that is named by a generational thing that becomes an ethnic thing, mm-hmm. um, like the G, the junior YBA, because that that raises the concern that there's no entry point for a non-Japanese American to come into the community. Mm-hmm. That's that's a problem. I don't think that necessarily means we shouldn't have a Japanese American group within the BCA mm-hmm. where people can have that sort of space, safe space, as I was saying before, given the reality of ethnic discrimination and racism in our culture. Mm-hmm. But there's got to be some effort made to include other people, right? Mm-hmm. So this is this is the challenge, and this is where mm-hmm. I think looking outside of our community would help because I know other communities deal with this. Mm-hmm. Other communities have dealt with these issues in various ways, and some of those solutions might make sense for the BCA. Some of them won't make sense for the BCA. Um, but it's something to sort of just be attentive to rather than keep doing what we're doing without any... Um, reflection or thought because that's what we're supposed to do right you always say that Buddhism is supposed to teach us to be self-reflective you say that not me I don't like being (laughs) self-reflective I hate all this therapy (laughs) 
I did it again. I couldn't be maintain my seriousness. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember in college, um, a friend of ours, we'd hang out in their room, you know, and his roommate, actually we were friends with both of them, um, and the one guy was, I think, second generation Hungarian, maybe, Hungarian-American. And at one point it came up, he was definitely going to marry a Hungarian girl. Hungarian-American, right? But like, he was second generation. His parents came from there, and he was—he he just didn't see any other option. Um, but not because of parental pressure, because that's what he wanted. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, and BCA, I don't think we're going to see that much, and we don't see that much anymore. You right, know, right. it's like how many kids? The the I, I think I've said it before, but the statistic I remember from when I was working at Cody's in what around in ninety nine two thousand was Japanese Americans are marrying out at the rate of fifty to eighty percent mm-hmm. in two thousand. Mm-hmm. We're almost twenty years later. This is ninety eight or whatever, right? It's like it's probably higher. Yeah. Right. Um, sixty, seventy to ninety percent or whatever. Um, but I think it'd be kind of interesting if the multi ethnicity thing was the way to open up the BCA. And I know it has, I think it has been up until now in a lot of ways. Um, and maybe that's the way it's going to keep going. And all I can think of is Central Asia and the um, the way Buddhism spread from India. And that I think a lot of the people that spread from India to China weren't Indian, quote unquote, whatever mm-hmm. Indian meant, because Indian was already multi-ethnic. Mm-hmm. Um, but that um, the Central Asian area was like a lot of different ethnic, cultural racial language groups mm-hmm. um, and like so people the fam- some of the famous translators you hear of were half this half that right um, and you know they were biracial people 2,000 years ago which is fascinating for me as a biracial person to be like wow you know as much as I'm kind of something kind of new in America although there have always been multiracial people in America but what? Um, <laughs> um, you know that um it happened before, too, and it was kind of part of the spread of Buddhism, that ethnicity almost, I mean, it was important in China, probably, and yet the Chinese accepted these people, multi-ethnic and Indian people, other non-Chinese people um, in, because they had something really special, right? And that um, maybe the um, uh, the multi-ethnicity, when you can honor the Japanese part of yourself, and yet not be bound to that, and not have it be like, I'm Japanese, the rest of culture isn't, and somehow I have to be something else other than what I am. As a biracial person, you already aren't what you are just by being you. <laughs> you aren't something whole, single, 100%, right? You're already something mixed, and so you're already in the mix. Um, and maybe that's what we're going to see in the future of, of um, BCA, because there's so many multiracial kids in BCA now. Mm-hmm. Um, not many of them have taken on leadership positions yet. But they will. 